Well, open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Let us give special attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And if you are her children, you do good, and you do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's Word, written for you and for me today. Do you think that people who are suffering feel very beautiful? Do you think they look beautiful as they're suffering? Most assuredly not. And this is the letter that Peter writes to these first century Christians. He writes a historical piece of literature, a document to a specific people. Who are the people that Peter writes to? Well, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and he says he writes to the elect exiles in the dispersion. He's writing to Christians that had been persecuted and were suffering, and they were scattered throughout. And we can actually go back to Acts chapter 8, and you can see how the apostles were in Jerusalem, and all the people were scattered out abroad. The amazing part is the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced, and it grew exponentially. And the apostles are there in Jerusalem but the people are scattered throughout. Do you see how big a role the people play in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yet when Peter writes this, they're underneath strenuous persecution. The suffering that was coming upon them has never been seen to this day. If we actually go back and read a lot of the historical accounts of the time, you'll find out that many of the Christians were actually persecuted for sport. Some of them, like Peter, were crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Many of the Christians at that time were actually put in the side of, of dead carcasses, sewed up, and then great Danes were released on them. I mean, we have never seen this kind of suffering and persecution ever in our time. And Peter has the audacity to write a letter to them and talk about submission, but also to talk about the fact of beauty. When you know people are not feeling great about themselves, the beauty that they feel has gone because they're just worried about their lives and what's going to happen. I actually am an assistant baseball coach at Harrison High School, outside of obviously being a pastor at Midway. And we make sure that everybody has a clean uniform Spikes are polished up. The uniform is pressed. We want the guys looking excellent when they walk on the ball field. You need to have respect for yourself, respect for the game, respect for your teammates. Look good. If you look good, you're going to play good. But if we're getting beat by 10 in the bottom of the seventh inning, 
you can rest assured nobody cares about their uniform anymore. And this is what's happening in this letter. They don't worry about beauty anymore. They're just worrying about making it through the next day. So I want us to see two things from this text this morning. Just two things. I want to see beautiful wives and then a husband's response. Beautiful wives and a husband's response. So let's go back to the text. Take a look at verse 1 again with me. He says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Paul's there. What is the main theme that, that Peter wants to stress to these ladies in the first century who are being persecuted, these wives? Well, he wants to talk about submission or subjection. But here's one thing I think we're going to overlook if, if we're just looking at it through the lens of 2020. What Peter does here is radical. Peter starts with wives. In case you don't know, in the Greco-Roman world, wives were property of their husbands, just like their children, just like their land. So women had no standing, no say-so whatsoever. And yet Peter decides, I want to address the women first. In the Greco-Roman world, they would have been astonished, like, wait a second, we don't need to talk to the women? They're second-class citizens. Do you see, the Christian faith is utterly different than all the world's religions in so many ways, but in particular in this way. This would have been eye-opening to the larger world, to the Roman world, which was suppressing the Christian world. And he wants to say, wives, I want to address you first. There's something he wants to talk to them about. Paul does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, does he not? And yet too many times we brush right over this and we don't see the great significance of wives. Wives are such paramount people in the family. But he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. You see, he wants to set up a dichotomy between earthly beauty and eternal beauty. So let's look at this for just a minute. And I, and I want you to notice something here. If you're looking at the text, the text actually says imperishable beauty, but it's been filled in. The word beauty is not there in the original Greek. It's just a series of adjectives ended by spirit. So the adjectives there are imperishable, meekness, and well-ordered spirit. Now, why do we translate it with beauty? Because we need something to attach it to. We need to give some kind of noun so that we can understand where he's going in this text. He wants to talk about earthly beauty first. And the first thing he says is that wives to be subject. The Greek word here literally means to be underappointed. Now, this doesn't mean that, that women are overemployed and underpaid, all right? They have too much to do. They have too many things to do in the family. No, what he's saying is we need to know even in times of suffering, there is a rank in which the family has to fall. Paul talked about this extensively in many of his writings. Paul actually said, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, now, where did Paul get that? He went back to his Old Testament. He looked at Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, where it says, And the rib that the Lord took from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Paul talks to those prideful Corinthians who, their church was in chaos, by the way. If you've ever been in a, a church that seems pretty messed up, and I've, I've been in those churches, okay? Uh, my dad was a pastor. He started the Lost Mountain Church of God. Anybody ever seen that church? It's on Dallas Highway. I know, you have a kid who grew up in the Pentecostal church, and he's a Presbyterian now. Amazing, right? But, but I've seen some things in the church, and it's pretty messed up behind the scenes at times. 
And Paul writes to those Corinthians whose church was pretty messed up, and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Simply put, God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace and structure and order. And during times of suffering and chaos, and we're only tasting just a little bit of it in our day-to-day. I mean, it it sounds pretty crazy, though, doesn't it? You see what's going on in in the major cities of the U.S. You see the the chaos and disorder. I I never thought, I never would have imagined that we would have seen police precincts overtaken by hoodlums. That's a West Cobb term, if you don't know what that word is. Hoodlum. But we have chaos and confusion. And during those times, Peter writes this letter to a Christian. He says, I want you to be reminded of something. The husband's supposed to lead. Now, this is something that's kind of strange in our day. It's a little unordinary for men to lead. Yes, go, go, go get a job, work, bring the paycheck home. But I'm talking about spiritually as well. For men to step up and say, I want to lead my family. We're going to read scripture. We're going to pray together. We're going to spend time in God's word. We're going to spend time learning who he is. And yet, as Peter writes this, Peter wants them to make sure that they get this correct, that they get this right, that the man is leading the family. Now, this is one of the most scary things if you're a man, because if your wife says, when you have big decisions, if she says, I want you to lead, and I want you to make a decision. If you're a man with half a brain, you're like, if I make this decision, it's really bad. She's going to kill me. And yet many of us as men, we've done this, haven't we? We've made decisions. We've tried to lead our family. We look back and we're like, that was a really bad decision. What was I thinking? And not to mention I had a wife and three kids follow me in the path. This is really bad. It just magnifies it, right? And yet... Peter says we need to have structure in the family. And here it says that the wife in her pure conduct can win. She can win the husband if he doesn't obey the logos, is the Greek word, which means the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he is drifting away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he's drifting away from the scripture, then she can win him over by her submission. By having a gentle and a quiet spirit. The book of Jude tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy. This is that extended favor. Even when people don't think exactly the way you do. This is a strong calling for us as Christians. But have you ever noticed that there there are no men that have been won to Christ by a flying theological gnat around their face who's always whipping them, saying, you need to follow this, you need to do that. None of you came to faith that way. Of course, you were probably shown your sin that way. But the wisest man who ever lived, besides Jesus, Solomon, said these words in Proverbs 25, 24. He says, it's better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house share with a quarrelsome wife. It's true, isn't it? But it's also good to live in a house... You don't have an overbearing husband either. You see what he's getting out here. He's showing us that we should outdo one another and showing honor. And he's going to get to the guys in just a second. So if you're a lady in here and you're like, come on, let's talk about the men for a minute. We're going to get to the husbands in just a second. But really, 
He wants to talk about outdoing each other with honor. He goes on in verse 3. And he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Peter uses a Greek word for adorning that means it's cosmos, which means earthly. It's worldly. And he says, don't have a hyper-focus on the worldly aspect of your life, the externals. Now, some cults and some Christian extreme fundamentalists have taken this verse and it's, you know, let the lady's hair grow long, she doesn't put on any makeup, don't take care of yourself, just, and that's not what the scripture tells us. Scripture says that our bodies are a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. We are to be stewards of our bodies. So by no means is he saying, ladies, just look as ugly as you possibly can. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying to suffering ladies, wives in the first century is, yeah, you don't feel very beautiful right now, but don't get too hyper-focused on the external because it'll come and go. Life is but a mist, is it not? And that's why he wants to point them and say, don't worry about the external. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. As Timothy's going into that church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 2.9, he says, Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. You see, what Paul and Peter both agree on is that women should take care of themselves. You should try to look good for your husband. But don't let that become the center thing that you worship. See, here's the reality. We live in a day where billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent on cosmetic surgery. And not because people have had some kind of health concern or they had to have uh, their breasts removed, those kind of things. That's not it. We have a culture that is so hyper-focused on the external that we spend billions of dollars on trying to make ourselves look so good. Why is that? Because our culture knows that we're not beautiful, right? Naturally, when we look in the mirror, we're not beautiful. We've seen this in many of the celebrities. They're taking pictures of themselves without any makeup on. And we see those pictures and we're like, oh, whoa, I didn't know she looked like that. Ooh, man, I feel pretty good about myself right now. And we know we're not beautiful. And we're always searching for the fountain of life and beauty. And we're trying everything we can, earthly speaking, to dress ourselves up. And the great reality is, is that Peter says, don't put so much of a focus on those externals. There's something greater that you need to see. Go back to the text. He says in verse 4 here, he says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What word does he use here? He says imperishable beauty. Um, My wife made a sign for my daughter some time ago. My wife makes wooden signs. They're handmade. She uses uh, power tools, and I am deathly afraid of those things. Saws, I don't use saws. I'm going to cut something off, and then I can't type a sermon. That would be really bad. So she made a sign, and she puts it over my daughter's bed with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Now, why would my, my wife put this over my daughter's bed? Well, because my daughter needs to hear truth. She doesn't need to hear the marketing of the world. And recent research from the business world, and I was in the business world for a while, so I love business. Recent research shows that we are marketed to over 30,000 times a day. 
That's a lot of marketing, isn't it? There's an influx of what the world's saying rather than what God is saying. And every night, my daughter would lay there and read that sign. And one night, she recited the whole thing to me. I was blown away. I'm thinking, is she reading it? And then I looked, I'm like, no, she's got her eyes closed. But why does she need this? She needs to hear truth. But she needs to hear the truth that comes from God's word and not from what the world says. Now, what does Peter mean by this? Well, here's what I think Peter's getting to ultimately. My my daughter needs to know about her personal relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else. She needs to know what that means to have a relationship with him. And maybe you say, well, that's kind of ethereal, that's out there. Bring that down to earth. How does that work? How does that function? Well, here's how it functions. She needs to know that on the cross, Jesus Christ was so ugly that she could be beautiful before God. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 and 52, it says these words, says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Goes on, says this, his appearance, appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He was disgusting to look at physically, but spiritually, even more so, because he took on all of our sin. And it was gross, and it was heinous, and it was probably the most disgusting thing for anyone to ever see. And it was so bad that on the cross, Jesus actually prays Scripture, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was so ugly that they turned away from him. But why? so that we could be worn, we could be one, and we could be saved, and so that we could be beautiful before God. Today, when you stand before the Lord, if you're a Christian, God the Father looks down, and He sees you, and He says, you're beautiful. Why? Because He looks through the righteousness, the holiness, the beauty of Christ that we are covered with. And that's what we really need. We really need to know how beautiful we are before the Lord, before anything else. Of course, take care of yourself. But remember, he was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. This is what Christ has done on our behalf. Oh, and if that's not good enough, Peter goes back and he pulls something from his Old Testament. You see, Peter actually did love his Old Testament. And so he pulls out a case study for us as an example. And he talks about Sarah and Abraham. Okay? If you haven't read this in a while, if you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 18, you can see how Sarah's there. God's speaking to Abraham. Hey, you're going to have a son And this is what the text says. It says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She hears it. She laughs at God. In case you don't know this, don't laugh at God when he's serious, okay? (laughs) He's going to get the last laugh. He's done it in my life. I'm sure he's done it in your life too. And she laughs at him. And what happens? She ends up having a child. This is pretty remarkable, isn't it? But as she's standing there, she has a husband. Is he an incredible guy? Is he a great guy? We like to paint him that way in our Sunday school lessons, don't we? Like Abraham, oh, the father of the faith. He was amazing. He was great. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, they have a famine in the land, and he's walking them in to Egypt because that's where the food is at. And he looks at his wife, and he's like, she is beautiful. 
man, she's good looking. Oh, but they're going to kill me. So we're going to say you're my sister, and I'm going to give you to Pharaoh, okay? No guy in here is going to say, hey, somebody else take my wife, all right? Let's be fine. No. And if anybody in this church did that, the elders should beat them up. Now, I know that's a bit extreme, but nonetheless, men should take a stand and be, be ready to take a beating anytime they need it. And here's what Abraham does. He chickens out, and he says, go, be with Pharaoh. You see, what is Peter telling us? He's saying that Sarah still obeyed Abraham in all these instances. Did Abraham make the best decisions? No. Does your husband, do I make the best decisions? I'm going to put my hand up and say, no, I do not. You can ask my wife. She's here. I have not always made the best decisions, and nor does any other man who is in here today, because we're not perfect, because we're not Jesus Christ. And yet, here, Peter says, respect your husband. Be led by your husband. Subject yourself to your husband. Submit to him. Of course, this means you can talk. You can have a voice. Absolutely. There should be this executive meeting in your house to do the budget, to do things that are going on that are coming up. You should meet together because the husband never plans a vacation and then says, oh, where are you going to go to vacation? No, we do it together, right? And here he says, why don't we make sure that we are submitting to those in rank over us? Therefore, he goes on, though, and he wants to talk to husbands. So let's go back, look at the text, look at verse 7 as we finish up here. He says, therefore, or he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, how would you categorize Peter? Do you think Peter was kind of effeminate? Was he a sissy man? No. Peter was a leather-necked fisherman. He'd been out in the sun a whole lot, and the back of his neck was probably tan, and he was rough, and he was gruff, and here's where he says, husbands, in a very man-like voice, husbands, listen up. I just spoke to the women, spoke to your wives, but husbands, you need to remember that you've got to live with your wife in an understanding way. You have to have two ears that listen a lot more than your mouth runs. This is hard to do. It's hard to do for a lot of guys to show understanding and honor to our wives. Just so you know, this is confession time for me, but some years back, I wasn't so good at listening to my wife, and we went on a date night. So we went to the Marietta Square, and as we go up there, I can't find a parking spot. So I'm really impatient. I just want to pull it in somewhere and let's go eat because we got reservations. So what do I do? I pull behind a building, and I pull into what looks like an open parking spot. But on the wall, in big letters, it says, do not park here or you will be towed. Well, you know, the rules, they don't apply to me, so we're just going to go ahead and go in to eat, and we'll come back. So we go in to eat. Great meal. Mmm, delicious. The guacamole was delicious. Ah, oh, the beef. Ah, oh. Rice was all very good. And then we go to leave. As we're walking out, and I look up, and I'm like, I think I parked right there, I think. I look at her, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. She told me not to park here. car was gone. Oh, and underneath the big red letters was a telephone number. In case you get towed, call this number. So I called the number, and the guy's like, yeah, we got your car. 
Come and get it. It's impounded. You're going to have to pay 250 bucks. Okay, that's dumb tax right there. You're just an idiot if you don't listen to your wife. And this is what the Scripture is telling us as men's. As men. And the men need to be spoke to differently than the women. Okay, women, you're kind of like a little teacup. If you throw a teacup against the wall, it's going to shatter, right? So we don't talk to the women like we do the men. And the men, we talk to them differently because the men are like a thermos. I have a thermos. I love it. You can throw it in the air and drop it. You could drop it off a two-story building. It's going to be fine, right? So we treat the men differently than we do the ladies. And this is exactly what Peter's doing here. He says, I want to speak to the guys for a second. And he says, some of you haven't been listening. And some of you, yes, the persecution is coming upon you. And it's hard and it's difficult. You need to listen to your wife. Show honor to her. Oh, but look how he ends this. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's he doing here? What happens to men when they're walking through very difficult times, when they're being persecuted or stressed at work? If you're a Christian man, you pray. Because there are no atheists in a foxhole. Everybody prays when things get tough. When you're caught in the vice grip of life, you pray. And guys do the same thing. And guys... In here, ladies, you probably don't know this, but guys will pray and they will pour out their heart to the Lord, but they'll never let you hear it. And Peter knows. And Peter steps in. He says, oh, yeah, those intimate moments where you're pouring out your heart to the Lord and you're freaking out and you're needing help, but you don't want to show it to your wife. Well, your your prayers are probably being hindered because you're a bonehead. You probably need to listen to her. You probably need to live in such a way that, that it's honoring But he finishes up and he says, because they are heirs with you in the grace of life. Heirs. Here's a wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we saved? How are we saved, kids? Grace alone. No works. Paul says in Ephesians, we're saved by grace through faith and this is not our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody can boast. You're not saved because you're black. You're not saved because you're white. You're not saved because you're a man. You're not saved because you're a woman. You're not saved because you're a child. You're saved by grace alone. And this is the wonderful reality is that we're all on a level playing field because we all put our salvation pants on the exact same way, by grace. That's it. And here... When we look at this text and we see how we are heirs and joint heirs with one another, we have to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good. It's so wonderful because in the Old Testament, the sign was given to only men. It was circumcision. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the community sign opens up, and now you have baptism for men, women, children, because we're saved by grace through faith. You see what... Peter's doing here. He's really pushing us even today as we walk through times of difficulty to remember the rank in the house, to remember how men are supposed to continue to lead, how men are supposed to live with their wives in an understanding way, but how wives are supposed to submit so that they may be quiet and gentle and lead their husbands through this behavior and pure conduct. You see, this is totally different and countercultural in our day. Because the moment things go crazy, well, the chaos enters into the family. And now it's almost every man for themselves. My grandfathers both fought in World War II. One of my grandfathers was a gunner on a destroyer in the ocean. 
And he was a hard-bitten man with tattoos on his arms. Tough guy. Tough. And he had six kids. I have three. I can't imagine doubling it. And yet he led so well, and he led so faithfully, and I think I may have heard him say seven words my entire life. He didn't have to be the loudest person in the room. His conduct showed us. But what is more, my grandmother, she was always talking, but she was also a lady that was submissive to her husband, and she won so many people over. Do you see in the end of this, it's how can we live lives of submission and outdo one another in showing honor? Well, we can only do it through one way, and that's looking at Jesus Christ, who said he came to do the will of the Father. He had to submit to the will of the Father. Can you imagine living those 33 years, and especially those last few moments when you're in that garden and you are very God and very man? That's who Jesus Christ was. And he has the capability to do what he wants, to call down legions of angels, to shut it all down. But yet in that garden, he is sweating drops of blood and he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. You see, we were saved through submission. And submitting is a difficult thing. But the Bible tells us that God's plans will never be thwarted because he's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Stay close to him through your personal relationship in Jesus Christ. We need multiple exposures to the gospel. We need multiple exposures to the gospel. Think on these things and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this Lord's Day, the opportunity to come and to be with you and to worship, to be with one another, to lift up our praises to you. Oh God, we ask you in the days ahead that through your Holy Spirit we might look to the truth of Scripture I mean, we might look to Jesus Christ, our sovereign Savior, to help us through these turbulent times. Help us to submit to your will. Give us understanding and counsel in the days ahead to know what you would have us to do. And Lord, we thank you for our salvation, knowing that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. Lord, will you embed that upon our hearts today to be able to love you and to love one another, and help us to share this good news so that many will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.